Today's passage is from 1 Chronicles chapter 17. We're going to read the whole chapter. Uh, If you haven't brought a Bible with you today, we have some still left on the back table if you want to take a moment to grab one. Um, As you take a moment to find your spot, just be reflectful and think um, what a privilege it is we have God's word in our own language and we have the freedom to read it. Not everyone has that. First Chronicles chapter 17. After David was settled in his palace, he said to Nathan the prophet, Here I am, living in a house of cedar, while the ark of the covenant of the Lord is under a tent. Nathan replied to David, Whatever you have in mind, do it, for God is with you. But that night, the word of God came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says. You are not the one to build me a house to dwell in. I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought Israel up out of Egypt to this day. I have moved from one tent site to another, from one dwelling place to another. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their leaders whom I commanded to shepherd my people, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, and appointed you ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name like the names of the greatest men on earth. And I will provide a place for my people, Israel, and will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore, as they did at the beginning, and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people, Israel. I will also subdue all your enemies. I declare to you that the Lord will build a house for you. When your days are over and you go to be with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, one of your own sons, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for me, and I will establish his throne forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. I will never take my love away from him, as I took it away from your predecessor, I will set him over my house and my kingdom forever. His throne will be established forever. Nathan reported to David all the words of this entire revelation. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and he said, Who am I, Lord God, and what is my family, that you have brought me this far? And if this were not enough in your sight, my God, You have spoken about the future of the house of your servant. You, Lord God, have looked on me as though I were the most exalted of men. What more can David say to you for honouring your servant? For you know your servant, Lord. For the sake of your servant and according to your will, you have done this great thing and made known all these great promises. There is no one like you, Lord. And there is no God but you, as we have heard with our own ears. 
And who is like your people Israel, the one nation on earth whose God went out to redeem a people for himself and to make a name for yourself and to perform great and awesome wonders by driving out nations from before your people who you redeemed from Egypt. You made your people Israel your very own forever and you, Lord, have become their God. And now, Lord, let the promise you have made concerning your servant and his house be established forever. Do as you promised so that it will be established and that your name will be great forever. Then people will say, the Lord Almighty, the God over Israel, is Israel's God. And the house of your servant David will be established before you. You, my God, have revealed to your servant that you will build a house for him. So your servant has found courage to pray to you. You, Lord, are God. You have promised these good things to your servant. Now you have been pleased to bless the house of your servant, that it may continue forever in your sight. For you, Lord, have blessed it, and it will be blessed forever. Good morning, everyone. It's good to be together on a Father's Day, and we can be all appreciative of our Heavenly Father in Heaven and His faithful love uh, for us. If I haven't met you, my name's Graham, <clears throat> and it's good to be together uh, to worship the Lord. There's been some babies born this week, so a little bit of local history for you. <clears throat> Did you know that 25 years ago, this particular church was born? The Lord brought new life to a group of people who heard the gospel of Jesus, were transformed by grace, and began gathering to worship him and be formed as disciples. And over time, the Lord added more to their number and they outgrew that first place that they were renting. So they asked the question, where should we meet? And they saw there was no church in this particular suburb of King's Meadows. So they bought a vacant block and constructed the building in which you and I are meeting today. Now it's been said that this particular building was built on 52 Saturdays. For one full year, this new family of believers volunteered time and sweat and skills and passion. They had a prayerful vision that the gospel would be proclaimed amongst the people of King's Meadows and beyond. Now, I was not there in the beginning. Like many of us here this morning, we've joined along the way. Some of those who were there at the beginning have already passed on and they're with the Father in glory. They invested in a vision that outlived their earthly life. Their lives have had a lasting significance, one that has blessed a future generation and will continue to do so. Psalm 127 begins like this, unless the Lord builds the house, its laborers labor in vain. Now our society is relentlessly discipling us to live for ourselves and to live for the here and now. 
But if we believe those lies and live by those priorities, we would live and labour in vain. Now 1 Chronicles 17 has something to say to us. You will have noticed in this chapter the back and forth with the meaning of the word house. David wants to build a house for the Lord and the Lord says, no, I will build a house for you. So here's the big idea that we'll explore today. To build a truly significant life, we must become aware of what the Lord is doing and then join in with his work. So let's pray and then with eager expectation, let's see what the Lord will show us today. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your faithful love, for your provision and your protection, for the life and blessing and opportunity you give us so often. We pray that this morning that you would open our minds, open our hearts, that we might see you and believe and respond in worship and obedience. Amen. So we are in week five of our series, Meeting the Lord, Up Close and Personal. So it's time for a bit of a recap. And each week builds on the ones before, and we'll start to see all these themes coming together. So you might remember in week one, we explored the theme of purpose from Genesis 2. We were with Adam and Eve in the garden, seeing the Lord as the life giver, the creator who blesses humanity with identity and belonging and purpose. Week two unpacked the theme of promise from Genesis 12. We traveled with Abraham on his journey, seeing the Lord as the blessing giver, who is generous in his promises and global in his purposes. The Lord works in and through his people to bless all the peoples of the world. Week three was the theme of presence from Exodus 3. We were with Mo Moses in the burning bush when the Lord revealed himself as the great I am who hears the cry of the oppressed and comes down to deliver them from their distress and then to live amongst, their amongst his people. And then last week, we explored the theme of personality from Exodus 34. We were with Moses on the mountain, learning some Hebrew, and we saw the Lord reveal what he is like. I am the Lord, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loyal love and faithfulness. Now today's story comes a few hundred years later. The people of Israel entered the land under the leadership of Joshua. Then there was a few hundred years of chaos during the period of the judges and then the failed experiment with King Saul. But now we find the nation of Israel forming under King David. The Genesis 12 promises are being realized in an earthly kingdom. God's people, in God's place, under his rule and blessing. Today in 1 Chronicles 17, we find David in his palace. And our word for today is posterity. Less familiar perhaps than the other four P words, but not to be confused with prosperity. 
Posterity speaks of the descendants or future generations of a person. It speaks of a future that outlives your own. We are at a key transition point in Israel's history when the Lord renews and refocuses his promises to his people, when he commits to establishing a kingdom through a promised son of David. So this morning we'll explore this story using three headings. David's good idea, the Lord's glorious promise, and David's grateful prayer. Verse 1 makes me think of two friends sitting on a veranda, enjoying a quiet drink, sharing their love for the Lord and dreaming together about what they might do for him. These two friends happen to be David the king and Nathan his advisor. The celebrations of chapter 16 are over. The ark, the symbol of the Lord's presence, is now settled in Jerusalem and the people have returned to their homes. But whilst David is settled in his palace, he is strangely unsettled in his heart. Verse 1. He said to Nathan the prophet, Here I am, living in a house of cedar, while the ark of the covenant of the Lord is under a tent. We get a bit more detail from a verse in 1 Kings when Solomon says, my father had it in his heart to build a temple for the name of the Lord. David observes a disconnect. All of us have our comfortable homes, yet the Lord still lives in a tent. This is not right. I want to build a temple to honour the Lord. Now David's idea was a good idea. His desire was that the Lord would be honoured and that everyone would see his glory. This is the heart of worship, isn't it? And David's heart would remain unsettled until the Lord was honoured as he deserved. Now let's pause for a moment. Have we become settled in our comfortable palaces? Or do we find within ourselves a holy unsettledness. As we do life here in Launceston and then look beyond to our state or our nation or our world, does it sadden us that the Lord is not honoured as he deserves or celebrated as the wonderfully good God that he is? Now David's friend Nathan sensed his friend's holy unsettledness. And listening to David's idea, Nathan says, whatever you have in mind, do it, for the Lord is with you. Nathan encouraged his friend's passion to live for the glory of the Lord. Your resources are limited, but the Lord is present with you. Later that night, Nathan receives a specific word from the Lord. And so, verse 15, he reported to David all the words of this entire revelation. Now, we get to eavesdrop on this conversation between the king and his advisor. And it can prompt us to reflect on our own friendships with one another. Do we encourage each other towards a passion for God's glory? Do we dream together about what it could mean for us to live 
wholly and completely for the Lord? And do we seek the Lord for wisdom and guidance and then share with one another what the Lord reveals to us? We all need encouragement to live for God's glory. And our half ideas will always improve when we submit them to wisdom and counsel and prayer. Let's move to our second heading, the Lord's glorious promise. And notice how the Lord gives a gentle no and a generous yes. Even when the Lord says no to our ideas, he's kind and gentle and gracious. David, you have a good idea, but you're not the right man. And now is not the right time. And I'm actually doing something on a scale that you can't even imagine. As the conversation continues, the Lord gives reasons for his gentle no by revealing more of what he is like. Firstly, the Lord is quite happy to live in a tent. Verse 5. I have not dwelt in a house from the day that I brought Israel up out of Egypt to this very day. I've moved from one tent site to another, from one dwelling place to another. The Lord deserves to live in a palace, but he's quite happy living in a tent. His focus and joy is to be present amongst his people where they are. What a humble God he is. And we get a throw forward to the New Testament here, don't we? The Lord Jesus left the comforts and glory of heaven to tabernacle amongst us, to live in a tent amongst us. He entered our sin-soaked world in order to seek and save the lost. He actually had the skills of a carpenter. He could have quite easily built his own home, but he chose not to. Instead, he lived a simple life. He stayed mobile, moving from place to place, teaching and healing and rescuing. He came to live amongst his people, up close and personal, not to be served, but to serve. The Lord is quite happy living in a tent. What a humble God he is. The second reason for the gentle no is that the Lord does the real work, not David. In verses 7 and 8, he speaks of what he's already done for David. I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, and raised you up to be ruler over my people Israel. I've been with you wherever you have gone, and I've cut off all of your enemies from before you. David was not a self-made man. His success was due to the gracious work of the Lord. And in verses 8 and 11, the Lord speaks of what he will do for David and the nation of Israel. In these verses, we hear echoes of the promises of Abraham to give a name and a people and a land and to give blessings. The point is clear. The Lord does the real work and he does it through his glorious promises. We do not make a name for ourselves. 
No, it's the Lord who gives us, graces us with a name and a place in his purposes. And as we learned last week, all of this is grounded in his unique personality. He is compassionate and gracious and abounding in loyal love and faithfulness. So we've looked at the gentle no and we also see a generous yes. Verses 11 to 14. Notice the seven I wills in these verses. I declare to you that the Lord will build a house for you. I will raise up your offspring to succeed you. I will establish his kingdom. I will establish his throne forever. I will be his father. I will never take my love away from him. I will set him over my house and my kingdom forever and his throne will be established forever. The Lord says, David, you won't build a house for me. I will build a house, a dynasty for you. And we are not talking about a physical house. That's a small thing for me to do. I'm going to build a kingdom through a son of David that will endure forever. Now for David, this was incredibly significant. We must remind ourselves of what happened to Israel's first king. Saul's reign ended in shame and failure. And the throne was not passed to Saul's son as would be the cultural custom. That was Israel's only precedent for what should happen to the throne when the king dies. David had no assurance at this point that his own son might succeed him as king. No assurance, that is, until the Lord spoke these promises about a future son of David. And just like there was a double meaning with the word house, we also have this back and forth with the meaning of the word son. Is the Lord speaking about Solomon, David's physical son? Or is the Lord speaking about another son to come in the future? In Psalm 72 that we read earlier, we see another example of this tension. Who is this promised son of David? Perhaps it is Solomon. After all, we know that Solomon was the one who did build an earthly temple for the Lord. And the period of Israel under Solomon's rule was a testimony to the Lord's presence and goodness amongst his people. It was a time described by the Hebrew word shalom, peace, prosperity, stability and wisdom. Solomon's name even embodies this. He is quite literally the Shalom man. People from other nations came and they were amazed by what they saw and experienced. This was the high point of the earthly kingdom of Israel. This was a people blessed by the Lord. And yet these verses also focus our attention beyond Solomon to a son of David in the future who is in another league. There's an intimacy between the Lord and the king as close as father and son. There's a commitment that the Lord's love will never be taken away from this son. 
And the word forever is used three times to describe the enduring and everlasting nature of the kingdom belonging to this son of David. Psalm 72 gives a description of what the shalom man is like. He is a good and gracious king, one that you would delight to give your allegiance to. He will crush the oppressor, defend the vulnerable, listen to the cries of the hurting ones, and provide stability and security, ruling with wisdom and justice and righteousness. Under this king's rule, there's a fruitful land and a flourishing people, life and blessing for all. Now, the New Testament is clear that these promises and prophecies are fulfilled in the Lord Jesus. The genealogies in Matthew and Luke are both careful to identify Jesus as a descendant of David. And in the Gospels, we see the Lord Jesus as the servant king, proclaiming and demonstrating the shalom of the kingdom of God. And we see the same message and same mission continue through the book of Acts. The Lord Jesus is this promised son of David. He's the true shalom man, the king whose throne will last forever. But let's head back to David sitting in his palace as he hears these glorious promises. And let's see what happens next. David's grateful prayer. Verse 16 is truly astonishing. It says, Then King David went in and sat before the Lord. What a wonderful picture of the privilege of prayer. In New Testament language, David enters the throne room of heaven and takes a seat with our heavenly Father. Three things to notice. A humble servant, a holy God, and a happy hope. All through this prayer, David refers to himself in the third person as your servant. The earthly king is in his place, stripped down to that simplest of identities, a humble servant of the king of kings. And David is astonished at the generosity of the Lord. Verse 16. Who am I, Lord God, and what is my family that you have brought me thus far? And as if this was not enough for, in your sight, you have actually spoken about a future for your servant. David is aware of grace in the past and grace in the present, and now he hears of promised grace in the future, and he's astonished. What an extravagantly generous God this is. The personality of the Lord is on show again. Remember our Hebrew from last week. This is the one who is Hanun, who gives undeserved kindness and favor. And he abounds with immense, full of faithfulness to all his promises. David knows that there is no better place in all the world than to be a humble servant of a God like this. Secondly, we see a holy God. Holiness simply describes how the Lord belongs in a category 
all of his own. In David's words in verse 20, it says, There is no one like you, Lord. The Lord is unique in every aspect of his being, in his greatness, his power, authority, self-sufficiently. There is none like him. And he's unique in his goodness, his love and kindness and mercy and compassion. There is none like him. All of these holy, one-of-a-kind attributes are made visible whenever he comes down as the saviour of his people, rescuing them and setting them free and calling them to himself, gathering them to his, together as his very own. There is no one like the Lord. You can imagine David breaking out in song, couldn't you? Then sings my soul, my saviour God, to thee. How great thou art, how great thou art. It's no wonder he sings with joy because we see a happy hope that fills David's heart. Remember how this chapter started. David wanted to build a house for, for the Lord. But his horizons have now been expanded. He's become aware of what the Lord is doing in the world. And he sees his life as part of that far bigger story. Verse 25. And so your servant has found courage to pray. Would you like to pray courageous prayers? David shows us how in verse 24. Do as you have promised, so that your kingdom will be established forever, and that your name will be great forever. Now that's how to pray to the Lord. It's virtually the first half of the Lord's prayer. David's prayer is grounded on his promises. May your will be done. It's guided towards his purposes that your kingdom would come. And it has the goal of his glory that your name would be hallowed forever. A believer who prays like this will find their heart filled with a happy hope because this is a prayer that the Lord delights to answer. So let's bring all these threads together. Acts 17 tells us that the Lord does not live in temples built by human hands. No, the Lord is doing the building. And he is building an everlasting kingdom. He has raised up the promised son of David, the Lord Jesus Christ raised him from the dead, raised him to the throne room of heaven, and one day will raise him and exalt him so that all the peoples of the earth will see his glory. This is where all of history is heading. Remember the big idea that we're exploring today. To build a truly significant life, we must become aware of what the Lord is doing and then join in with his work. How do we become aware of what the Lord is doing? Remember what David did after Nathan shared the news. 
King David went in and sat before the Lord. Now we can do the same. We must learn to sit with the Lord and then he will give us our part to play. As we sit with the Lord and listen to his word, we absorb his priorities. And a great place to start to sit with the Lord is to read the Gospel of Matthew. Tune in to what it says about the kingdom of heaven. See the Lord Jesus, the Shalom man, in action. Notice the values of his kingdom and learn his kingdom building methods. In Matthew 4, he began his ministry with an announcement. Repent, the kingdom of heaven is near. Come and follow me. This was the message and the mission of Jesus. And that mission continues today. The Lord is calling people, everyone from everywhere, to repent and believe and follow the Lord Jesus Christ. He wants people to taste and see that the Lord is good, to experience the shalom of the kingdom of God and to join in. And he wants to do this kingdom building work in and through his people, people like you and me. So here's a practical suggestion to try this week. What place do you spend most of your Monday to Friday time? For me, it's in my consulting room in the clinic where I see patients as a GP. Perhaps for you, it's a classroom where you go to study and learn or perhaps to teach. Maybe it's a hospital or a construction site or an office or a place where you volunteer. Perhaps you visit people's homes as a tradie or a community nurse or a carer. Perhaps most of your work is from home via Zoom or perhaps at home raising kids and building a safe place. So each day this week, as you prepare to enter your particular place, take one full minute to pause and to breathe and to pray this prayer. It's familiar enough that you'll remember it, but there's a little edit right at the end. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. May your kingdom come. May your will be done in this place as it is in heaven. Now we know this is a prayer that the Lord will love to answer that his name would be honoured and his kingdom come and his will be done in the particular place that you are living your life. In every one of our interactions with another person, we can be confident that the Lord is already at work in their life. Praying this sort of prayer simply aligns our hearts and minds with the Lord and what he's already up to in the situation. Instead of us imposing our agenda on the conversation or the interaction, this prayer will quieten our souls to be sensitive to his leading. He will give us a part to play, a way to join in with what he is doing. 
And as we learn to follow his lead, we will become channels of his blessing through our words, our actions, or simply through our presence. The shalom of the kingdom will bless that place and the people that are in it. Now, this simple practice will fill our ordinary, everyday moments with eternal significance. Ephesians 3.20 tells us that he is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. What might he do in us and through us in the particular places that we visit this week? There's only one way to find out. So let's pray, let's obey, and let's see the Lord do his work. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we pray that your name would be hallowed and honoured, starting with us, that it would be honoured in the lives that we live, in the homes in which we live, in the workplaces in which we work. We pray that your name would be honoured. We pray that your will would be done and that it would start with us, that we would trust and obey. And we pray that your kingdom would come, that we would sense and taste these little glimpses of shalom, of life as you made it to be, that we would taste and see that you and your ways are good. We pray that we would be channels of blessing this particular week, that you would bring shalom into our own hearts and that we would take that shalom into all the places in which we move and live and work this week. We pray that you would do it in such a way that we would not get any spotlight, but that the Lord Jesus would be seen and honoured and worshipped. Amen.